This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. of us show up on life's playing field unprepared to play full out to win. We neither understand the game, the opponent, the rules, nor the equipment that helps us play and win. No wonder we walk as if on eggshells with other people. We are lonely. It doesn't have to be that way. We've learned much in recent years about how our mind works and there is no doubt that we can follow our heart's longing and live our lives with clarity, focus, ease and grace. And yes, we need to see with new eyes and listen with new ears. And that is something that can be taught, should be taught, and is not yet routinely taught, says Ingrid Martin. Valeria interviews Ingrid about her book, The Ungame, foreplay to business as unusual, and other thoughts in between. Ingrid Martin is the sole practitioner of Ingrid Martin Life Coaching, who now focuses exclusively on coaching people who don't quite recognize yet how extraordinarily capable they are to answer with yes the question, couldn't life be easier, more enjoyable, and more meaningful for me? Former CEO of Your Leader's Edge Coaching, Consulting, and Training, a firm specializing in transforming resistance to change, Ingrid is also a certified executive, team, and life coach. Her former clients represent numerous industries, pharmaceutical, software development, public utility providers, insurance, ICF coaches, and the U.S. Army. Ingrid is passionate about how people change. She has authored a book featuring an adult learning and coaching model in easy-to-digest story form for producing sustainable change. The Ungame, foreplay to business as unusual. While The Ungame features a fictional business environment in which sustainable change is the goal, Ingrid is quick to say the book could just as easily be The Ungame for Teachers, Parents, Lovers, Students. The timeless principles serve anyone willing to produce meaningful change in her or his life. In fact, both Ingrid and her clients thrive with the personal connection they create with unlearning behaviors which block our clarity, focus, and ease in moving step by small, sweet step toward the life we long to live. With her straightforward, pragmatic, yet caring approach, Ingrid encourages and supports shifts in thinking 
to achieve breakthroughs with the modalities she has mastered over her long career. Engaging in courageous conversations, conflict-averting, not avoiding, developing emotional and social intelligence skills, dealing with difficult people, understanding resistance to change, developing cross-cultural awareness, and competence are some of them. Tangible results from those skills are a cross-cultural awareness program for students in Howard County, Maryland, which Ingrid created and managed. As a volunteer leader, she brought a symposium on deep change, now taught worldwide, to Texas and has trained others to lead it in three states. However, her greatest satisfaction is being with clients who are more and more comfortable in their own skin, becoming unselfconscious as they claim and trust their voice of wisdom. Here is the interview with Ingrid Martin. In your own words, who is Ingrid Martin? It's a great question because usually we respond with our roles, don't we? Yes. And that is not who we really are. So I would describe myself the way that I would describe you or anyone else. I am a person on a hero's journey, according to Joseph Campbell's archetype, the hero. that incorporates both feminine and masculine. And on that hero's journey, I come up with lots of challenges that help me discover my path and help me discover my voice of wisdom. So this is how I would describe myself today. How wonderful. Thank you. I have a few warm-up questions for you before we talk about your book, your work, the empowerment dynamic, following the heart's longing, living with clarity, focus, ease, and grace. So my first warm-up question is, what is life? (laughs) (laughs) I have to laugh. What a lovely warm-up question that is. Most people say that. (laughs) What kind of warm-up question is that? Life is being fully present in this physical reality we all live in, understanding that we are metaphysical beings as well who have come here to master uh, life's energies. What I mean by that is that we in the Western world are given certain tools with which we approach this thing called life. And we're here to become our very best selves. And that entails mastering the tools we've been given and the energies we've been given. And by those, I mean, we are here so that we um, master the energy of time, the energy of money, the energy of physical vitality, the energy of relationship, the energy of creativity, and the energy of enjoyment. Uh, And when we uh, are in the process of mastering that, which we will always be as long as we live, then we get to use all of that in the service of 
a unique contribution that's ours to make so that my contribution is unique. Your contribution, Valeria, is unique and everyone else's contribution is unique. So that's what I will call life today. Yeah, I like that. What do you think is the opposite of life? The opposite of life is not death. The opposite of life for me is feeling trapped in what I call life, what people may call life, trapped in circumstances and not having a sense of choice, not feeling empowered to create the life as we might envision it or to even have no vision at all. Mm. So that it is a spiritual death, if you will, is what I would call the opposite of life. The sense of not being alive, alive, the sense of not experiencing our vibrancy, the experience of feeling dead, feeling resigned, feeling apathetic, feeling defeated, all of that could be uh, the opposite of being fully present in our life and being totally in touch with the privilege and miracle that life is and the gratitude that we have for each moment when we do feel alive. What a great answer. Thank you, Ingrid. What is the meaning of freedom to you? One of my very favorite subjects <laughs> is exactly that. And I wouldn't say that I collapse the meaning of freedom with the meaning of empowerment, but they are definitely linked. I feel free, and I'll only speak for me right now. I feel free when I experience myself as empowered. And I experience myself as empowered when I know that the experience of not having a choice in the matter of my life or any circumstances is a lie. I Mm. always have a choice. And so freedom for me is the knowledge and the action that goes along with that knowledge of exercising uh, choices that I see before me. And even when I don't see choices, I have the choice. For example, I may call my coach (laughs) and say, I am experiencing a constriction here in my energy. I am not clear. Help me see. And so I am never without choices and therefore I am never without freedom. That's another incredibly insightful answer and true to me, that knowing that we we have so many possibilities, just to know that it's power. You call empowerment, isn't it? Yes, I think so. The moment I'm empowered, I feel powerful and I am. What do you think is the world's greatest need at this time? That's a powerful question. The greatest need, as I see it, is for people not only to wake up, because what we are in is or could be considered a nightmare, 
It could be considered a bad dream. But for people to even realize that they are asleep, that we are asleep. Now, all of us, in order to be human, we recognize that we cannot be awake all the time. Just like at night, we close our eyes and we go to sleep. Well, so it is in our life. We also are awake, hopefully many times, to our life. And then there are other times when we are asleep. But I know that, you know that, most people who cultivate greater consciousness know that, but the majority of the world doesn't know that. And when you don't know you're asleep, you have no choice, going back to your question on freedom. Mm, You have no freedom to act. You are not empowered. You're in the dark. And the greatest need is for us as a world and certainly in the United States, to be willing to become awake, to be willing to, as we are awake, to challenge all our closely held beliefs, opinions, and conclusions about how life ought to work. And this is a fabulous time for more of us to do that, because all of a sudden, with this coronavirus, the world as we know it, is upside down pretty much for everyone. And that includes the people who don't seek to gain greater consciousness, you know, who are not on a, well, how do I say it? Who are not on a deliberate spiritual path and hero's journey. They're all on their hero's journey. They're all on the path, but some of us know it and some of us don't. And so we really are at a, magnificent time to challenge ourselves. But in order to challenge ourselves, we also need to be able to stand back and to see our life, both in terms of physical reality and our life on the metaphysical level, our innermost thoughts, you know, how we see things and be awake to those kinds of things. So this is a great opportunity and the need is very great because we are disassembling, we are ruining, we are damning this planet uh, to oblivion. That is to say, life on the planet, we are not supporting life on the planet. We are at war with life on the planet. So that's how I would answer that right now. Do you connect being awake to being more loving? When we are awake, Valeria, we cannot help but be more loving. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yes, that's so true. And I guess what I'm trying to do here is to uh, lead this to my next question. What is love to you? How do you define love? Love contrary to popular opinion, is not a feeling. Love is an act of will, and it is seeing, let's say, another person or an animal or a tree, seeing life with eyes and ears and a heart that understands that we are all connected that at this time in the human experience, we are doing the best we can with the light by which we can see. 
And so I can love as an act of will, even when what comes back at me is toxic or poisonous, which can happen. And an act of love there may also be that I pull back and love myself and take care of myself because I don't need to get pulled into uh, somebody else's uh, uh, psychological drama. Right. Uh, but in terms of the feelings, love is is best when we do connect and the feelings do um, join this act of will that I'm talking about. And, and, and then that is sweet, sweet, sweet. <laughs> and it is a privilege to be experiencing that. It's the ultimate, from my point of view, of connection. Mm-hmm. But it is not always a feeling so that I choose to do some things, not because I want to particularly, because, but because it's mine to do and it is something that another person may need that I can provide. So, yeah. 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 Yes, a thousand times to everything you said. (laughs) So my next question has to do with God or the idea of God. What, where and who is God to you? Okay, that's also an interesting question. Uh, I will say to you, I am not a religious person. Religion to me has to do with institutions. And I am not much of an institutionalist, although I uh, wish our society's institutions worked better for the public good and not just for the good of a few. So, but God to me is everything around me and everyone around me. I think there is the divine in all of us and in all of life. Carl Sagan, I believe, is who said, and Wendell Berry may have repeated, that we are all made from stardust. Mm, So the divine is within all of us, and I can happily, and it's it's a privilege and, and a delight for me to be able to always get back to seeing the divine in someone else. Sometimes it's harder than other times. (laughs) Uh, And I can get there because I truly not just believe it, but I feel it in my bones. And I do think that belief creates the fact, you know, we follow our beliefs and gather evidence for that. So if I believe that there is a God, there is God within you and that there's God within me and there's God within my dogs and my chickens and the birds <laughs> and my horses and so forth, then I act in such a way that um, honors the God spirit in them. Yeah, yes. What do you think is the main purpose of your life? Well, that one's easy, although I asked myself when I was a lot younger, I certainly asked myself that. I asked myself that when I was very young in the form of an assertion, and the assertion was there has got to be more to life than this. You know, when I was um, 
essentially I had the quote unquote American dream at the time when that American dream still existed. And uh, it left me empty nevertheless. And so I was asking the question or I was saying, there's got to be more to life than this. And I really longed for and I would have to say pursued at the time the answer to that. And I eventually got my answer to that, but not by pursuing it, but rather by allowing it to emerge by me getting out of my own way. (laughs) (laughs) And then the answer emerged. So my purpose in life is very simple. It is to empower myself and to empower others. And both of those are equally important to me. And what I like about that, what really lights me up and what makes me passionate is that I am as much interested in empowering myself as I am other people so that I do not put myself last. I do not put myself second necessarily, except sometimes I will put, uh, you know, some of my uh, needs on hold, knowing full well and with great confidence that I am not dropping my needs. I will get back to them. So it's my choice. So um, I think that's what's missing with a lot of uh, people who consider themselves helpers, even therapists and coaches, is that too often they're very busy empowering their clients and putting themselves uh, last. I don't do that. And I'm really glad I like the balance that I have um, between empowering myself and empowering other people. And I love, love, love that purpose. And I live into that purpose happily every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's a wonderful way to live. Yeah. Creating this balance where we love ourselves and we love others at the same time. I know you used the different word, empower. You empower yourself and empower others. Earlier, you mentioned uh, beliefs. I have asked this question to a few people, not everyone. I'm going to ask you too. What is the difference between beliefs, values, inner knowing, and wisdom? Hmm. Well, a belief is something specific, whereas your inner voice is very broad, your 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 inner wisdom is very broad. Intuition covers a lot of territory. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, uh, beliefs and values, uh, too, there is a difference. But let me just speak about belief. A belief is is something like, um, you know, how you make coffee. You have a certain way of making coffee. That's a that's a belief you have. Or the best way to make tea. Or people may have a belief that. In order to help others, you need to uh, be Mm -hmm. self-effacing. Those are very specific, whereas the other things that you talk about are much more general. And while it's also true that we may not be at all aware of beliefs that run our life, as a matter of fact, as a coach, I can tell you that uh, people are not aware of uh, those beliefs, opinions, and conclusions that actually fuel their life and run their life without their permission necessarily, without Mm. their conscious decision uh, and permission. And that's true for values as well. We oftentimes 
will say a certain value animates our actions, but you and I both know that we know people who say one thing and do another, and they're totally unaware of the gap <laughs> that exists between what they say and what they do. That's true, yeah. Yeah, so very much. <laughs> the beliefs are very specific, uh, and uh, all these other things may be unconscious. Uh, all these things may be unconscious, just like values, um, but inner wisdom and intuition they come to serve us when we need them. If we have cultivated a conscious life, many times they're more available to us than uh, to other people, although not always. You know, we have indigenous uh, groups of people who have not been touched by the Western way of life. And my goodness, I would trade their <laughs> wisdom for most people I've ever read, you see. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, that answers my question yeah it kind of um, makes me think about beliefs and values as um, almost fixed thoughts and ideas like concepts as you mentioned that a lot of times we are not aware of them but um inner knowing wisdom intuition we might not be aware of them all the time but they they come to serve us when we need them and that is so true we are aware that they are there but we don't know exactly where they're going to take us so it's not a fixed there's no fixed destination or ideas or concepts well i like that and i think it demands of us something that a lot of people have a hard time with it uh, this inner wisdom and intuition you don't know where it will take us which means that right. we come to it with beginner's mind, we come to it with the attitude of a child. We come to it uh, knowing it's a mystery, knowing it can't be controlled. It's there and it will reveal itself. It takes mm. a different attitude than we usually bring forward to our life. Uh, we oftentimes try very hard to make things happen, to control things. And the truth is, we can't. And not knowing and the willingness, you know, being willing to not know mm -hmm. is a very powerful space. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm alert. I'm curious. I'm awake. I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm willing to be open. I'm willing to be receptive. All of that, I think, helps uh, to make our voice of wisdom more accessible and our intuition more accessible to us. Yes, absolutely. Wow. I love the way you said that, Ingrid. It's a very challenging thing for most people to do. Um, and it's easy to understand why they hold on to beliefs and values and fixed ideas, because the opposite of that is the unknown. And most people, they, they are uncomfortable living from that space. And people are uh, uncomfortable and understandably try to regain comfort, try to yeah. regain an emotional equilibrium. <laughs> what might be more uh, challenging and more fun <laughs> would be to, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, we, we're talking about the unknown versus the known, the, the space that we can control, so we are comfortable with. Oh, yes. So what we do well to 
cultivate would be to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm, yeah. Somewhere we, <laughs> to, we want to acknowledge that discomfort may actually be very useful to us. It may, um, it may say to us, okay, you're uncomfortable. It's possible you're up to something big. <laughs> and I like that. I love yeah, that, actually. Being up to something big has this meaning for me. It just means you're up to something that you don't usually do, that you don't usually go for. So if, for example, you're uncomfortable because you say, oh, I can't possibly say this to this other person. It might hurt their feelings. I can't. You know, I'm uncomfortable. Well, okay, so be uncomfortable. <laughs> be comfortable. And the something big you're up to is saying something to another person uh, that you're uncomfortable saying. The something big that you may be up to may also be the knowledge that, hey, you are not so powerful that you're going to hurt this other person's feelings. They have a say in the matter. Maybe they need to hear what you have to say. And maybe you need to learn how to say it in such a way that you're not cutting this person off at the knees. So that's a lot of the big you're up to. And it's worthwhile to be comfortable with being uncomfortable so that you can see what your uncomfortableness has to teach you. What a wonderful place to be of empowerment, just to know what challenges are trying to tell us. I agree 100%. That made me think about the power of Ted and where he talks about David. Emerald. Emerald, yes. Emerald. Yeah, he talks about the dynamic tension that pretty much relates to what you, uh, you just described so being this uh, situation that we are now, the current situation, and, and going from that situation to this ideal situation that causes a lot of tension. But if we can hold and pause and stay there within this vision of what we want or this place that we want to achieve, it's the way to get there. But also he mentions about taking baby steps just doing little by little, not trying to achieve everything too fast or getting somewhere too fast. Well, that's a good point. And at the same time, we do want to make a distinction between the dynamic tension that David talks about, which is a very positive tension. It's a very positive tension. It's the tension that you experience between the vision that you have of, let's say, a wonderful retreat that you want to go to on the island of Hawaii, let's say, mm -hmm. okay, and your current circumstances where you have lots of commitments, uh, you have issues around generating the money to attend this, uh, that's fine. You, you're looking at where you are versus where you want to be, and that can create dynamic tension. Awesome. Wonderful. That's the place where we can create from when we experience uh, this dynamic tension between where we are and where we want to be. There's, however, also, and here's the distinction, there is a, I'm sure there's a better word for it, but the word that comes up for me right now is stressed, stressed tension. It comes from a different place. 
It's about having, let's say, if you're imagining a rubber band, each of your hands and you're stretching it so far, that tension, the rubber band is about to snap or is about to be released and hit you and hurt you. Mm, right. <laughs> that's stress tension. That's not uh, what empowerment is made of. And we need to uh, be able to recognize when we come from this stress tension, because what happens then is then we see everything as a problem. And then we just go and try to solve the problems in, in order to relieve the stress. And we're not focusing on an outcome the way that we focus when we experience dynamic tension. When we experience that, we're we have a, a, a outcome we're looking forward to. This workshop you want to go to on the island of Hawaii, you know, your heart pitter-patters at the thought of it. You're excited mm-hmm. about it. And that tension pulls you towards it step by small, sweet step. And uh, it's really helpful to recognize the difference between the stressed tension and the dynamic tension because stress tension is usually ineffective and makes us ineffective and it hurts our well-being. Yeah, that makes sense, Ingrid, because now we are operating from a space of creativity and we are seeing problems as challenges. So we are not overwhelmed by the situation itself because we know we can trust in our own creativity to go forward and get there somehow one day. I don't use the word hope that much. I have been using lately, but I tried not to for a long time. And I noticed that you used the word hope uh, when you sent an email to me, which I, I think I created a question out of that, that what do you hope for your clients? You have this hope, you use the word hope. Um, I'll get to that question in a moment, but before that, let's talk about your book, uh, The Ungame. What was the inspiration, intention, and the process of writing the book, The Ungame? Uh, yes, well, the, the impetus for the book was the fact that I have come to realize that we have more to unlearn (laughs) than to learn. We're always talking about, oh, I want to learn this and I want to learn that. And that's (laughs) great if you want to learn how to cook, if you want to learn how to make, (laughs) you know, a wreath or (laughs) you want to build a shed or something. That's great. But when what I'm talking about unlearning is dysfunctional beliefs, dysfunctional attitudes, dysfunctional actions that come from those, dysfunctional way of living life, which we have been uncovering uh, for a long time. Life doesn't work very well if you look at how most people are suffering, either in physical ways or in other ways, emotional ways, uh, or both. So this unlearning, it always was interesting to me that nobody ever taught us to be a parent, you know, the way that teachers have teacher training. Well, if things work well, nobody has to uh, teach us how to be a parent, but things aren't working well uh, in the uh, the way we're living life uh, is, uh, is, as I said, not, not working. So 
I uh, thought about unlearning things. And of course, having come from Germany a long time ago, I saw things differently with different eyes. And I could see some things that were worth unlearning. And then I just thought empowerment. So many people are, are not feeling empowerment, not feeling freedom. And I wanted to share that since I had been basically on the path of empowerment all of my conscious life from the time I came from Germany to uh, the United States. So I wanted to share it. And uh, I um, had been doing uh, training and consulting in businesses, but also always been an educator. And I wanted to combine that. And I knew that the format uh, that I was choosing was a good one. And the format of the young game is in story form. It's like a, well, it's like in the power of Ted. Uh, it's also in story form. And I like story forms because stories are like Velcro. They stick. <laughs> so yeah. that was the impetus. I wanted to, uh, it was a way of empowering myself and empowering um, other people who like to read. I mean, you've got to be willing to read uh, in order to, uh, you know, pick up the ungame. And the thing that I also knew was that just because the story took place in the business world, uh, that doesn't mean anything because it could be anywhere. That's the kind of story it is. It can be the ungame for parents, the ungame for lovers, the ungame for teenagers. These are timeless principles that are being shown in in the book uh, through this coaching model that is being showcased there. So I hope I answered your question. I'm not sure. Did I? Yes, yes. You did, yeah. Uh, you wrote uh, something interesting. You said that we neither understand the game, the opponent, the rules, nor the equipment that helps us to play and win in life. I guess I'm rephrasing at the end here. So I guess I have a question for you on that. Why do you think most of us show up on life's playing field unprepared, besides uh, having dysfunctional beliefs? What would you say um, the other reasons for that? Okay, I think this is a, a great question. Uh, we are unprepared because we've been living uh, ways of being that are not particularly empowering. We don't understand, for example, and, and this goes into the unpreparedness, we don't understand that there's more to us as human beings than meets the eye. And there's more to us than all the thoughts, the beliefs, the feelings, the opinions. Mm. Most of us yeah. don't do the deep dive that you do and that I do and that your listeners probably do. Um, we, we are not seeking the conscious life, the examined life, and nobody encourages us and we're not learning it in school. And so what we're not learning is that there is not just this self that shows up in the world. I call that who I pretend to be, <laughs> who shows up, yeah, my public persona, yeah. You know, I'm, I wouldn't show up in an interview with shorts and a jacket because I want 
a certain public persona to show up that uh, says I'm competent. Well, we're not just that persona. We're also not, and this is, uh, people don't get this either. We're also not who we are afraid we are, you know. We're not our mm. doubts, <laughs> yeah. our worries, our um, fears. We have doubts. We have worries. We have fears. We have these feelings. We have these physical sensations. But there's more to us than that. So if we aren't who we pretend we are, that is, who if we aren't our public persona, and if we aren't our fears, who we are afraid we have, uh, we are, if we aren't that, then who are we? Well, who we are is who we are in our hero's heart, back to the hero's journey. Mm. And who we are in our hero's heart is the ineffable, ineffable, the untouchable, the, uh, the being that's not uh, prone to the circumstances and all of the ups and downs of life as we know it. So who we are is that brilliant self that doesn't need any fixing, the self that's not broken, the self that's not afraid. And, and, and when we understand that we have a hero's heart, you know, which is in that, um, in the center of who we are, when we understand that, we also need to understand that these other pieces, who we are afraid we are and who we pretend we are, they also are a part of us. And most of us on life's playing field, we try to quote unquote, get better. We try to fix ourselves. We try to say we're imperfect the way we are and we're going to get better by on um, getting rid of our doubts and our fears and our conversations, our limiting conversations. But when we get to understand on life's playing field that we not only have a hero's heart, but we also have what our Buddhist friends would call a monkey's mind. <laughs> and to, to own both of those, our hero's heart and our monkey's mind, and love them both instead of trying to say I'm broken and I need to be fixed. You see, when we understand that, then <laughs> we realize in life's playing field how to play the game. And our game is to have our hero's heart uh, outplay our monkey's mind, you see. And in coaching, people learn how to do that. And they learn how to recognize the monkey's mind and they learn how to outplay it, but not to get rid of it. Because guess what? We're never going to get rid of it. And we need to understand whole self uh, and that we are perfectly fine just the way that we are. And that doesn't mean that we can't improve on some things that we do or think or whatever. But, you know, so one of the biggest rules is that our opponent is our monkey's mind. And we can um, learn to outplay that in order to be the best that we can be and in order to be the empowered beings that we are meant to be. I mean, it just resonates true all the way because it's all about the word you keep saying, empowerment. That makes me think about what you wrote. You said, we need to see with new eyes and listen with new ears. And that is something that can be taught, uh, should be taught, and it's not yet routinely taught. And so it's basically about shifting perspective 
And and that's where the power of TED, it's called the empowerment dynamic for a reason. So it's moving from one place to another, from what I understand. So yet this movement is just incredibly interesting to me. It is to me too. It is to me too, Valeria. I love it because it's simple. Uh, There is a, a way of going from from business as usual, if you will, and business as usual, at least in human relationships, is that we are in the drama triangle and nobody has taught us that uh, that uh, we are in the drama triangle. Uh, I say this, we are in the drama triangle when things don't go our way, when things you know, don't work. We tend to, in human relationships, end up in the drama triangle where there are three roles and the three roles we all play, the, they are the persecutor, the victim, uh, and the rescuer. And on and on and on the drama goes. And if we don't know uh, the alternative, which you correctly put as the empowerment dynamic, uh, is when we don't know that, we have no way of getting out. So how do we get out? Well, first of all, we learn that the the drama triangle exists, which is not a hard sell. Everybody knows that because they've all we've all been there, um, but they don't know the alternative. And so the alternative is we should learn about it. It would be good to learn about it. Well, one way of learning about it is to read that book, The Empowerment Dynamic, The Power of Ted for short. Um, another way is to, um, you know, get coached on it because we are not very practiced in being in the empowerment dynamic. But what I can briefly say is help, is that there is an antidote for each of those roles that are so destructive. The persecutor role has an antidote, the victim role has an antidote, and the res- rescuer role has an antidote. So the antidote to the victim is the creator. And I'll, I will only talk about that because we don't have very much time. But there, instead of being a victim um, who says, oh, my God, look at all of this, and, and I can't, and uh, there's something wrong with me, and this, that, and the other thing, the creator would never look at that because the creator knows that they are a hero with a hero's heart and a monkey's mind. And the creator would know that this is a lie, that you can't, and that there's something wrong with you. And so the creator would would say, okay, so this is a lie, and what what outcome do you want to produce here, you see? And so it's a shift, as you said earlier, in perspective from problem to creation. What outcome do you want to uh, create here where you feel like a victim, you know, like I can never get my computer to work? Oh, poor me. Well, what outcome do you want to produce? I want my uh, computer to work. Okay, so how else can you look at it? Do you need to look at it all uh, as if it's, this is just you uh, working on that? Who do who might you call upon to support you in solving this problem? Or what's the opportunity here? Oh, the opportunity here is to cultivate a relationship with someone who knows something about computers. So the creator shifts the perspective from problem to opportunity as a for instance. And it is very, the only thing we need once we really understand is we need some practice. And this is where coaching really, really helps. 
is to get uh, the practice for that, uh, to being uh, being caught in the act, being caught in the act of being a victim. Uh, your coach can catch you in the act of being a victim and help you help you um, w- with your perspective of turning that victim into the antidote role, namely the creator. So, but a good place to start would be to read the book. And, um, you know, I definitely like the book and I have taught the book. It's a wonderful book. Mm -hmm. So I have a few final questions for you, Ingrid. But before that, um, would you like to talk to me about your coaching model? The coaching model is really what's uh, told in story form in the ungame. And uh, this will be rather intellectual, so it's the booby prize. The intellectual is the booby prize. Experiencing it is obviously the real prize. But uh, it it's essentially the coaching model operates under the assumptions that we are um, heroes on a hero's journey, that we have a monkey's mind, that we are not broken, we do not need to be fixed, that we have our own answers when it comes to non-technical uh, concerns. You know, we don't have the, uh, our own answers when it comes to learning how to uh, design a computer program. You know, we need help with that uh, and training with that. But in terms of our own life, we do have an inner voice of wisdom that we can access. And uh, so we have our own answers um, we're here to make a contribution in life. And um, so those are all the assumptions. And then the model itself focuses on really doing something completely different. We don't jump into action and into goal setting and into this immediately because we come from who are we willing to be in the matter we come from, are we yeah. willing to be our public persona? Are we willing to be who we afraid we are? Or are we willing to be who we really are? So choosing who we are willing to be in any interaction. And um, so then we also have um, the, we realize that in order to uh, to make choices and new ways of being is that we uh, need to observe. We need to self-observe better. So the model helps you to self-observe. And out of the observation, you bring, get new awareness. And so the model uh, helps you focus on uh, what you have become aware of and how that can help you move forward in terms of who you are longing to be and what you're longing to create in your life. You know, so then you can you can go for your goals in a in a better way. And so obviously, ultimately, a coaching model is about action. And uh, so we we go through, you know, basically four things who we're willing to be. Uh, we observe and become better self observers. We say yes to our lessons. Uh, and then we go ahead and uh, implement uh, something based on uh, what we have learned so that we move our life forward in a dynamic way towards uh, what we are longing to create. 
Wow. I absolutely love this idea that you, you've been saying, you said so many times that we don't need to be fixed. Uh, we just needed to be open and shift in perspective that, that will allow us to to see the possibilities and the choices we have. Yes. And of course, yeah, that takes a lot of practice and, and, and somebody like you would help someone who needs to see those uh, those choices. Uh, but I love that. Absolutely love that. Well, it's very healing to be in the presence of someone who doesn't want to fix you. <laughs> yeah, right. So you true. Know, so true. It's a contribution. Yeah. So my final questions, I think I have about three of them. Uh, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? Probably the hardest lesson that I needed to learn was that I was not in control of everything. <laughs> oh, God, that goes for all of us. <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, uh, the other one that I would put right with that, because it, I see it in my clients, and I can't see in my clients what I haven't seen in myself. Uh, uh, so I see that contrary to my upbringing, which was not particularly nurturing, uh, there were lots of critical voices in my home and environment. I needed to learn, and it was great when I did, that uh, there is absolutely nothing wrong with me. Mm, yeah. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with me, no matter how the voices in your listener's head might be screaming, yes, there is, yes, there is. There is absolutely nothing wrong with any one of them either. A great lesson to learn. Wow, yeah, so, so true. My next uh, final question. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I would not. And I would not because I want to live my life as if today is my last day. And I want to live my life to have no regrets, which is one of the reasons that I communicate clearly and my relationships are current. That is to say, if I have something to say to someone, uh, I will say it uh, because otherwise it may eat me up. So I am satisfied with how I live my life. And if this is my last day, then I have left nothing undone as far as I'm concerned. Wow. Yeah, that's the best answers I get from my guests when they say that. Yeah, I wouldn't change a thing, right? Uh, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today, Ingrid? Uh, life is dynamic. Life is impermanent. Uh, life is unpredictable. And that's three, I believe. And uh, life is a an amazing mystery and opportunity and a privilege to be a part of. Yeah. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your presence. It has been insightful and um, reflective for me. Thank you so much. My joy. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? 
my book is on Amazon or I can be contacted through my website. I actually do very little in terms of uh, marketing. Uh, I do everything through referral. So I basically don't do what I don't love to do, which <laughs> means I don't um, do a lot of marketing. And so people can contact me for the book or go to Amazon. Uh, they can contact me if they would like to explore coaching. They can text me or uh, email me. And uh, we usually do a preliminary session for free so that people can see whether or not they'd like to be involved in coaching and whether or not I would be the right um, person uh, for them. So that's uh, what I'm about at this point. I have no uh, workshops online. Uh, I occasionally have some, but I have none planned right now. So this is where we are. Really great. Thank you so much again, Ingrid, and we'll talk soon. Very good. Thank you. Thank it was you. a pleasure. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Ingrid Martine, please visit her website, ingridmartine.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.